0: This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.
1: We're talking about the Knicks and Nets back uh, following our conversation with Ian Begley. And I got a response on Twitter from uh, the Book of Daniel. And he says to me, Larry, the 3 and D guy is supposed to be Grimes. And so when you think of, and I responded to him, so I'm going to share what I responded. When you think of a 3 and D guy, you're thinking more of a athletic wing forward who usually six, eight, six, nine can hit the three athletic can defend does a nice job. And I think that's more of like an Anobi in Toronto. That would be the person that I would think of more than that. Grimes as a guard is not really your three and D guy, um, especially on this team, on this team. Really, the closer 3 and D guy is probably Josh Hart on this team. And he's not really he, – he's okay from three. He was better in the regular season from three than he was in the postseason. And once again, he could have been compromised with injuries, but you don't know. He was out there, so he can't say anything. He thought he could play. So, you know, he did what he did. Uh, so I would say that Grimes, Grimes is not. But uh, for me, it would be um, Ananobi. That would be the – that would be – uh, the person who you know, and we've talked about it, would love to have him. Now, listen, Toronto's not giving him up without a lot, and it's going to be interesting to see what Toronto does, because they're in this, they're in the spot where, you know, they've had a championship, they they were in a championship, well, they have a championship, and then you know, a couple of years, obviously it buys you some time, but they have not been as competitive over the past couple of seasons, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. It's always fun as you get closer to the draft to see, A, where who's picking where, and, B, what are they going to do with these picks and what's going to happen with them. So we keep an eye out on that for you. 1-800-919-3776. Uh, Buddha's in the Bronx. Hey, Buddha. Hey,
2: just want to echo the sentiments. Welcome, my brother, back. These airwaves are not the same without you. But I know that you took the Queen and, you know, you guys enjoyed yourself. You know, happy anniversary. All the love in the world from the Buddha family. You know that.
1: I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thank you.
2: All right. Three things sticking in my craw. Two light, one very serious. Okay. Uh, first of all, you know, Quentin Williams, I mean, good to God, God. Did are going to play games with his money? You know, oh, really? these are the things. And I would wonder, you know, I'm in the locker room. I'm looking, you know, I wonder how that plays out. Because him, you know, Mosey, a few of these guys – been here for a long time. We're brought in by this general manager. So now this general manager is going to go all out and give me a 40-year-old quarterback you know, and, and, and do everything, it pimp everybody for him. And you're not going to pay Quentin Williams, so you're going to mess around with his money? Disgusting. Bothers me, rubs me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, really? the, Lakers, the Lakers, come on. I mean, <laughs> you know, and I don't want to call any names out, you know, but we know who these people are. <laughs> Sit here trying to tell us how the Lakers have a chance to win a championship. I mean, please. They beat two teams. One guy, you know, threw away the season posting guns on on IG, and then they beat a team that was already fragmented and fractured in the Warriors, who went to seven games with the Kings, which wasn't impressive. Anybody who thought that they were going to beat the Nuggets, I I don't see it. The Nuggets are a fully complete team, and, and they play a brand of basketball that is pretty and hard to defend, you know, especially on the perimeter. But um, you know me, mm-hmm. and I know you were on a flight last night, and I know you didn't get a chance to see that fight. Lord have mercy! Listen, first of all, wifey went to the to the casino. You know she hit for some decent money. She's like, look, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take I'm gonna take my man out, take him out to see the fights. We are gonna go to the bar see the fights.
3: Nice. So you
2: know, we we go to Dave and Buster's. You know, nice food, nice appetizers, everything. Mm-hmm. Then the fight comes on. And it's a very entertaining fight, very competitive fight up until the ninth round. You know, Haney, he wasn't – you know, young people, you know how they are. They always think that they know something that we don't know. I hear Mm -hmm. Father telling him, I hear everybody on on the broadcast, you know, Timothy Bradley, my guy, you know, standing up to Andre Ward, who's a bit arrogant and thinks he knows everything. You know, listen, you don't use that jab as the taller man. You are allowing – the shorter man, to get close to you. And when he gets close to you, he's going to touch you up. So, you know, Haney was doing some good body shots at distance, and Lomachenko was, you know, he was, he was doing what he needed to do. Mm-hmm. When it got to, like, the ninth round, all of a sudden, Lomachenko said, I'm not going to box, I'm going to fight. And he closed the gap. He turned him stepping forward with that right foot you understand what i'm saying not allowing haney to get out the way and then haney is doing the dumb move you're the tall man and you're backing up against the ropes lomachenko's pushing the pace pushing the pace he starts getting inside and he's rocking haney you understand what i'm telling you Mm -hmm. Rocking in the 11th round if there would have been a little bit more time he would have stopped haney so now i'm in the bar and i'm talking you know me and my wife we're a little saucy You know, we up and down, jumping up and down, talking with the people in the the bar. And everybody that I know had a score something like 117 to 112, Mm Lomachenko. He Mm -hmm. clearly dominated those last four rounds. These fools, these judges who continue, I don't know what they do it for, continue to make boxing look like a mockery. They give a unanimous decision to Haney. It would have been questionable if it was a draw. They gave him a unanimous decision. And I know boxing makes a lot of money. You know, I know pay-per-view makes a lot of money. But, good God, if I was going to have one dream be fulfilled of all the sports, because, you know, boxing is my favorite sport, right. you would have one governing body take over. Forget all these different councils. These guys got 900 belts. That's why nobody fights anybody. You understand what I'm saying? Bud Crawford and Errol Spence, do they box anymore? I haven't seen them in a year, in two years. I mean, come on, man. It was disgusting. When you get a chance, watch that fight later, score it yourself, and we'll chat back about I mean, I'm telling you something, man. And you know this for the bottom Listen, I'm always going to root for a brother.
1: I saw I saw some highlights. I didn't see highlights. I mean I saw some accounts of it. Buddha and I said, I gotta check this out because it, it just from what I'm hearing, it doesn't sound like that's how that fight should have went. But once again, I will do that. Thanks for the phone call, my friend. Always good hearing from you and the kind wishes and everything. I will uh, watch the fight again. I will watch not again. I will watch the fight and I will score it with the sound down and see just uh, you know, just 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 what happened. Just what happened in that fight. But it sounds like it was not uh, It was not scored the way it should have been. one 800 we will take some of your calls next on 98.7 ESPN.
0: This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.
1: Hardesty Show took 3 on 98.7 ESPN. Bunch of you want to talk. Let's head to the phones. Jack is in Morristown. Hey, Jack, you're next on 98.7.
0: Hey, hey,
4: thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it.
1: You got it, Jack. What's up? What
4: I just want to piggyback off the last caller from the fight last night.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I, while I do agree with him that the score was kind of lopsided, I don't think Lomachenko clearly won the fight because he gave away too many rounds early because Devin Haney dominated to the body. He was killing his body. And if you look at the fight at the end of the fight, Lomachenko's face looked like he was a beaten man. I think he won the last. Uh, I think he won. He Lomachenko won round nine, 10, and 11. And round twelve was pretty even, and I think that's when. But I think Devin Haney, in my opinion, I think he dictated the pace of the fight. Lomachenko, it was similar to uh, uh, Tio Fimo Lopez and Lomachenko, where he just gave away too many rounds early. And I just think, um, I think the decision wasn't a horrible decision, but I would have been okay with a draw. But I don't think Lomachenko won the fight at all. So if you look at the fight, just look at it with look at it uh, on mute. So mm-hmm. when when Lomanenko hits him in the gloves, the crowd goes crazy. Those points, those are not points. Mm-hmm. All That's right.
1: all. All right, Jack. All right. Thanks, thanks for your like, thoughts. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the phone call. Uh, I will do that. Always watch it with the sound down. I, I can't, you know. Always do. Always do when you're scoring. You have to, because otherwise you'll be influenced. Uh, Peto is in Queens. What's up, Peto?
5: Hey, what's
0: up, Larry? Um, thanks for having me, Larry. It, before I get into my next point, you used to DJ, right? The music you play is unbelievable. It reminds me of New York in the 80s. So <laughs> I want to thank you for that.
1: I did not DJ, Pete, but I was around some great ones. i worked yeah, on some yeah, legendary I DJs, tell. and so I, I've, I've taken uh, some music, some of the best of what I, I remember.
0: Yeah, yeah, you have great music taste. Thank so you, my point on the Knicks, mm-hmm. Julius Randle is not the person Nick fans should be talking about trading. Okay. Not at all. I, I, where are you going to find twenty five, ten, and 4? Tell me who, right? Mm-hmm. On, and for those that can, are they available? The person I think that we should be thinking about trading is R.J. Barrett. Mm-hmm. He has more value now, being that he played the way he played during the playoffs. But he had a horrible two years. Doesn't play D. And I think you 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 strike while the iron is hot. Maybe I'm thinking about maybe get a Porzingis, um, or I mean, it would be nice if we could get one of either Cam or or Bridges from from the Nets. But mm-hmm. we need somebody that can shoot from the three and and play D. Mm-hmm. I, I you know I've seen Barrett enough, man. I I don't think he's 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 a person. I don't think he's a guy.
1: I hear you, Pito. Thanks for the phone call and the kind words. I don't think the Knicks would bring Porzingis back. Uh, that's one. Two, I still have – I mean, he's played well. I still have an injury concern with him. You know, I, I really do. So I I don't, I don't. just don't think the Knicks won't open that door up again with him and his brother and all this other stuff that happened when he was here before. Um, I would think that R.J. Barrett would be a person – listen, if there's – and Ian Begley said it, and he's a 1,000% right. If the Knicks are going to make a trade, uh, RJ Barrett's going to be in it. It's as simple as that. He, he's he's a young player. He's, what, 23, 24 at most? Um, he's a, he's a player that, that is young. Maybe he, you know, is able to take that next step with another team. I don't know. But for me, I really believe that if they make a deal, he's going to be in it. Uh, as far as Randall is concerned, you're right. They would have to... They're not going to make a deal if they make a deal. They're not going to make a deal for Julius Randle. That would include getting something less production-wise than what they are giving up, okay? They would either uh, try to get two people to make up the 25 points that you mentioned in the 10 rebounds, and I gave you an example like Carl anthony Towns, he would give you the points and Torian Prince would give you some points off the bench defense and rebounding. So they would try to do in that example, not saying that that's the trade, although I've seen it all over the internet for some reason, uh, but that would be an example of how you would be able to, uh, co- to, to get the 25 and 10 back, not necessarily with one player, okay? Carmine's in the Bronx. What's up, Carmine?
3: Hey, what's up, Larry? How you doing?
1: I'm doing great, my friend. Talk to me.
3: All right. So, um, I'm over here smoking a cigar. Nice. Reminiscing about I know that Miami was in the finals a couple of years back, whatever, but I want to see a new team like Denver be there. Hmm. Why? Because I think they deserve it. I don't think the Lakers do not deserve to be in the finals. Why? Because they're not shooting, they're not doing things right. So forget about LeBron and them. I mean, I, I think that I think this is it for him. I think it is, as far as his career. But um, I want to see Miami play Denver in the finals, and this will be a new challenge, something new. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You want to see new teams uh, battle. Denver deserves it. I think they're going to sweep them if they think they play tomorrow, sweep them and uh, move on. But I think Miami got a chance of going because um, I think they could do it. I think they could do it. I really believe that they have the inspiration on the team itself. But I'm, that's my prediction. It's going to be them two in the finals, and hopefully, um, let's see. I think I think it's going to go seven games. I think Miami's there's going to be some it's going to be some tight tight rope around there. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. But that's my prediction. Uh, Denver, Miami, in the finals.
1: All right, Carmine. Thanks for the phone call. For Denver, it will be uh, an opportunity for the nation to see how strong and th- how good this team has been over the past couple of years, and uh, Murray has been phenomenal in this postseason he's been phenomenal. And he he is what he is really what's been missing from this team to take that next step. And listen, he's not a new player, okay? He's been really good for a couple of seasons. But now where they are they had that opportunity to get to the finals and they're one win away. Uh I didn't think the Lakers would beat Denver, but I'm disappointed how they're playing against Denver, all right? Because the Lakers are better than how they're playing. They're just not playing well. And part of that, you give credit to Denver for how they're defending. And part of that is just, yeah, I was having this conversation last night on the way home from the airport. Whatever consistency, whatever consistent means to you from a point scorer or a player, that you expect from a talented young man like Anthony Davis, if he could bring that to you more consistently, the Lakers would be a much better team. You just, you're not really sure what you're getting from Anthony Davis. And, you know, it it, it bothers them. You, You just, because he, when he's on, he is such a dominant player. But you just, don't, you just don't get that dominance. And I get it. Everybody can't be, everybody's not dominant every night. But it's so many peaks and valleys with his game. And in key moments, there's things where he just doesn't produce. And so that's the frustrating thing if you're a Laker fan. And I know Ty Butler is. I know uh, Chris Canty is. There's a number of friends that I have that are Laker fans. My brother-in-law is a Laker fan. Uh, shout out to Greg. Um, so that's, that's the, that's the frustration, frustrating part that you have following the Lakers. I don't think, look, LeBron is still, I can't believe he missed that, that fumbled that dunk away the other night, but LeBron's not done. I mean, he, look what he's been able to do 38 and he still wants to play. He says he wants to play with his son. So, uh, you know, his son's going to college. He's only going to stay one year. So I think LeBron has two more years left in him. I think he'll leave once his son is in the league, but I think he has two more years left in him. I know that he's played a lot of minutes this year and a lot of minutes in this postseason, and he's wearing down a little bit. But I don't expect the Lakers. To, I don't expect the Lakers to get swept. I expect that they win, and they lose a game five up in Denver. Carl's in Manhattan. What's up, Carl? Hey, Carl. All right, Carl's gone. Eddie's in the Big Apple. What's up, Eddie?
5: Hey, Larry. i like to say, so. I've been listening to sports radio for since the mid-80s, and they should double your hours and triple your pay, brother.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Eddie. Thank you.
5: Yeah. And, uh, I want to get something on Barkley because mm-hmm. uh, what I, they, they, they offered him a contract, and he rejected it, and I think it was only a few million less than what he wanted. Uh, do you think he will be playing this year, or will he hold out and not go show up from many camps and stuff like that. And why can't these guys, if I understand why they're holding out because they don't want to get injured in the last year of their contract. Mm. But is there a way to get like, say he wanted 15 million a year for three years and they're going to give him 10 for this year. Isn't there a way he can go on the field and, and either the giants or him can pay for an insurance contract that if he gets hurt, he gets his, full 45 million that he wanted in the beginning. I know it's going to be expensive, but a lot of these guys hold out, hold out, hold out and show up at the last minute. Is there an insurance policy out there that they can write up that, you know, okay, we're not going to give you the full contract, but if you get hurt this year, you're going to get a big, a big payout.
1: Uh, There probably is Eddie. And thanks for the phone call and the kind words there probably is. But I would say in this scenario, Saquon Barkley will play. Saquon Barkley will take the one-year uh, franchise tag. He doesn't have a lot of leverage because the running back position continues to be devalued in the league. Um, in hindsight, yeah, he should have took the 15. He didn't. He rolled the dice. He lost. He'll take the $10 million this year, and he'll do what he did last year. He'll go out, he'll ball out, and he'll come back, and he'll try to get the same money next season from either the Giants or somebody else. I, I don't see him... As a guy that's gonna hold out for the year. I really don't. I do not see that. For those of you for those of you on hold, hang in there with me, when we return, we'll be joined by good friend Billy Taylor. We'll talk a little bit about the late great Jim Brown. That's next on 987 ESPN.
0: This is the Larry Hardesty show on ninety-eight point seven ESPN.
1: Right now let I have a chance to chat with the good friend, former partner of mine. He played in the National Football League, had an outstanding career with the New York Football Giants and the Oakland Raiders. He's a broadcaster. He's an entrepreneur. And I could not think of anybody better to kind of capitalize and put into perspective what the late great Jim Brown was able to do on the football field. So for that, we turn our attention to Jim Brown and we welcome in my good friend, Billy Taylor. Hey, Billy, how are you?
6: Hey, Larry, I'm good. How about
1: yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you, sir. Billy, when you heard that Jim Brown passed away, what's the first thing that went through your mind?
6: That um, when I was a kid, they said he was the greatest running back that, that ever lived. But the thing about it is that my mother's brother had a barber shop in Cleveland, Ohio. And so when I went in there, he had pictures of Jim Brown on the wall, and he would tell me about how great he was. And then when I went to high school, I started watching tape of him. And what I noticed was how quick his feet were. Because if you watch any tape of him, he very rarely got knocked off his feet. And he was the, uh, I think he led the NFL in Russia nine years in a row. And I was wondering why, what happened. So when I did my research, uh, I found out he was in the movie, The Dirty Dozen. Mm-hmm. And uh, the movie went over, over. the And so they were still in training camp. And the owner of the Browns went and told him something like, um, if you if you don't come to training camps, then don't come at all. If you don't come on time, so that's when he quit the NFL and went back to um, to acting. I mean, he wasn't a great actor, but uh, you know everybody knew who he was, and he was probably at that time the highest paid uh, athlete, and uh, he was making over a hundred thousand back in the fifties and sixties, and that was a lot of money then. But what I really was blown away was how great he was in lacrosse, because you know lacrosse is almost like playing running back anyway, and he had quick feet had everything about him and i think that helped his football game because uh when he played the game he just had nimbleness that you wouldn't think somebody that big would have another thing larry since i'm on a roll is that um the the linebacker named sam huff Mm -hmm. you know people talk about how great he was but every time i saw him and he was in the films i was watching with jim brown he would always hit jim brown late and then Mm. he'd jump over the pile like he did something did something big and and I just couldn't believe that, that those days they didn't call the penalty when you hit somebody late. So uh, I know Jim Brown and him didn't get along at all.
1: Well, I'll say this, Billy. It was a different time. <laughs> it was a different time. <laughs> you were able to do some things then that you can't do today. But So what takes me to my next point is understanding where running backs from his, from Jim Brown's era, your era, and the running backs today how has the running back position changed over the years? Because he was uh, the, the main running back for that Cleveland team. Nobody handled the ball but him. And now you're starting to see look, today that running back by committee type thing. And in your era, it was kind of a little bit of both, right?
6: Well, I'd always thought running back was the best athlete on the team. And, and Jim Brown for years and years. And then you went with Earl Campbell and mm. a lot of great running backs who are doing really well. And I think that Jim Brown set the tone because I remember Barry Sanders' dad said to him something like um, he didn't want him to break Jim Brown's record. I couldn't understand, but he thought that Jim Brown was the great and didn't want his record touched. And that's why Walter Payton was one of the great ones. And, you know, Emmitt Smith's in there, but I never thought Emmitt Smith was great. And Earl Campbell was in there because he was tough. And, And I think one thing that I did, Larry, was um, I caught a screen pass. I remember the first game against Philadelphia, and uh, I was on the sideline, and uh, I ran about 20 yards, and then I was acting like I was going out of bounds, but I used my quick feet, went back in toward the middle, and gained another 20 yards, and I got that from watching Jim Brown mm-hmm. because he never ran out of bounds. He took on anybody he, you know that wanted to, and he got up so slow. You'd always mm-hmm. think something was wrong with him, but the reason he did that is because he was just, he, as he said, when I asked him in person, he said he was reserving deserving his energy for the next play. But there's no question that before, um, you know, Earl Campbell and, and probably Eric Dickerson, uh, Jim Br- Jim Brown unquestionably was the greatest that had lived at that time. I think a lot of people have overtaken what he's done. Even uh, the guy in, in uh in Tennessee. Uh he, he reminds me of Jim Brown because of how big and tough he is because, Henry, you know, and it and really he has Derrick Henry and it shows me that uh, really uh, that the devalue of the running back is really uh, oh, ridiculous because you think of all what they do for a team. A running back has to you know, run out of pass. He's got to pick up the safety. He's got to sometimes pick up the linebacker, uh, help out on the offensive line, and go out on the pass pattern as well as run the ball. I don't think any other position does that. So it kind of makes me mad when they devalue him because even Saquon Barkley of the Giants is not getting the money he deserves because people think that they get hurt and they can get anybody in the third and fourth round, but I totally disagree with that.
1: Billy Taylor, former NFL running back, former New York Giant, is my guest. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. Billy, let's talk a little bit uh, about Jim Brown using his athleticism and his persona and his greatness on the football field as leverage to make statements in the community uh, in that era where, you know, Muhammad Ali was there. There's that famous picture of him, Muhammad Ali, and you know, uh, Lou Al- then Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, yep. uh, Bill Russell, yep. and others. Uh, let's talk about how important that was in that era for him to use that celebrity that he had on the field, off the field, to try to help change.
6: Well, I think he, a lot of people admired him because it was during the Civil Rights Movement with Martin Luther King that, you know, Jim Brown stood up for everybody. And what he did was Muhammad Ali was the one who was, they were, they were supporting because, you know, he thought that, um, he shouldn't go to war because he had nothing against the Vietnamese. So the other athletes, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, as you mentioned, Jim Br- I mean, uh, Bill Russell, uh, even even a lot of young athletes came out to support him. And I thought it really showed you what Jim Brown was all about because, you know, you look at athletes only like Michael Jordan, wouldn't stand up for many things. And that's why I give LeBron James a lot of credit because he stands up for the rights of other people. And I think that you have to use the Plateau the Nuna athlete to do positive things, and and I give Jim Brown a lot of credit because even in Newark, New Jersey started a, a big group over there where they out in the help of underprivileged kids and and stuff like that. And I think that uh, you know p- people don't want to hear about that the good stuff that Jim Brown did, but uh, I really think uh, he was a heck of a person. I had a chance to meet him in person, which is really funny is that he still thought he was fast. You <laughs> know, he wanted to race re- Franco Harris of the Pittsburgh Steelers in LAG 70. And uh, they never raced, but that was what they were all about. But the fastest running back I think that he had to give credit to was O.J. Simpson. He was the fastest running back maybe in the history of the NFL right now. And uh, I think that he had to give O.J. And O.J. really got a lot of stuff from Jim Brown which made him go to a different level because he had more speed than Jim Brown. But Jim Brown never got caught from behind, Larry. Mm. He never got caught. Once he was in the open, he was gone and... And, uh, you know, at that time, because he was, you know, the best running back and leading the NFL and rushing, everybody tried to get a piece of him, but nobody hit him hard. And that's what I admire about him, because, you know, he never took a hit. And I think that the great running backs like Barry Sanders, even Tony Dorsett, Eric Dickerson, never took a hit. And I think that's what leading you know, a running back, you use your quick feet and your athleticism for that type of stuff.
1: So I can't let you go without getting your thoughts on uh, this giant season that's coming up. What what did you like about the team last year? And what do you expect from them this year?
6: Well, well, the thing that I uh, was blown away with was they had great teaching. And it shows you that if you teach somebody to do something, you can you can make better. You, you can do better if you teach somebody. It's the first group of giant coaches that I've seen that were great teachers. And Brian Gable, he taught uh, Danny Jones a lot of things. And he really uh used Saquon Barkley in a way which they shouldn't have. I mean, which they should have. And I love what he's doing and I think that he's one of the uh, one of the reasons why they look why they lost. I mean why they why they won this year because of his um his ability to to teach people how to do things. And it really showed me, Larry, how many bad coaches are out there not teaching people the right way to do things. So uh, I'm really impressed with the Giants. The bad thing is the prognosticators say they're not going to do well this year, but I think they will because they got everything they wanted in the draft.
1: Billy Taylor, I know you're a busy man. Thanks for a couple of minutes and uh, giving us some perspective on the running back position uh, and what uh, the late, great Jim Brown was able to bring to the table.
6: Well, Larry, I appreciate it, and I hope you had a good tan, buddy. And I will talk to
1: you soon. (laughs) All right, sounds good. That's Billy Taylor, formerly of the New York Football Giants. 1-800-919-3776. When we return, we'll take your phone calls and we'll hear from Aaron Boone. That's next on 98.7 ESPN.
0: This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.
7: Clearly it was a fair ball, and we knew that. And then when they said he scored, you know, I took exception to that and at least wanted to know the explanation for it and didn't really get that basically just saying, you can't argue this. I said, I want the explanation.
1: And then he was sent packing for the day. That's Yankee manager Aaron Boone after the Yankees win over Cincinnati by the score of 4-1. Before we get to the calls, let's hear some more from uh, Aaron Boone. The Yankees, two-run home run from Harrison Bader. That got them started, and Boone talks about setting the tone early.
7: These guys came out here ready to go. You know, they set the tone last night after the game of making sure everyone was ready to go. The energy was up this morning from Jump Street, and I thought they went out and played really well.
1: All right, and of course, listen, Yankees are playing well now. They struggled early, but they are starting to get some things rolling. They're 29-20. and And this is Aaron Boone saying he's really excited on how the team is competing right now.
7: I'm excited about how well this team is competing. Their level of, again, walk in with edge, prepare, and compete. And they're doing that at a high level right now.
1: They are. Uh, Clay Holmes could make life a little easier for his manager and his fans by getting a one, two, three inning every now and then. But for the most part, (laughs) he's getting the job done. Guy done today. Yankees continue to win, and they move on. Got a bunch of calls to get to. Let's try to get to as many as we can before we say good afternoon to you. Let's go back to the phones and talk to Roy in Harlem. Roy, you're next on
5: 98.7. Hey,
2: how you doing, man? I'm doing the,
5: good, Roy. The What's name is
2: actually it's actually Floyd, but All right, so what I, I want to say I want that. to talk about the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Right, thanks for having me. I want to talk about the Knicks. I think they should give up Julius Randle, Robinson, and Barrett for the Kupo. I don't know what extra they should throw in with that,
5: but let's start with those three.
1: Roy, that, listen, I, I'm with you, Roy. Thanks for the phone call. I would love to get that up, but I just don't think that's going to get the job done, my friend. I, why would what Milwaukee not getting rid of uh, Giannis? Okay, now I know that people are reacting to this whole thing about he might not sign. He's upset with what's going on in Milwaukee. Blah blah. blah the, the Milwaukee. Milwaukee is not just letting him walk out the door. They're going to do everything they can to keep him. He is arguably one of the top five players in the league right now. Just is. His dominance and everything. So, no. I hear what you're saying, Troy, but no. That's not going to happen. Uh, Al's in Brooklyn. What's up, Al? Al? All right, we'll move on. Steve is in Manhattan. Hey, Steve, you're next on 98.7. I'm Steve. Hey, hello. Hey, Steve. Hello. Yes, Um, I think the
0: Knicks should get rid of Mitchell Robinson. He's not an effective full time center. He's not. We had him for three, four years. We need to get a starting center that can play 35 minutes. Pull down double figure rebounds, shoot a little bit from further out. we have got to have a better center. Hardenstein's good off the bench. Mitchell Robinson gets into foul trouble, and he can't handle star centers.
1: Well, I'll say okay. this, Steve, and thanks for the phone call. Tom Thibodeau loves loves uh, loves he loves Julius Randle, too, but he loves Mitchell Robinson. He loves him because they don't really require scoring from him. He's in the starting lineup for his defense and shot-blocking abilities. Yes, he'll get some lobs from time to time to make him happy, but for the most part, with a starting lineup that features R.J. Barrett, who scores... Quentin Grimes, who scores, Jalen Brunson, who scores, and Julius Randle, who scores, eh, they don't need Mitchell Robinson to score. Uh, Does he have issues staying healthy? Yes, he does. Does he have issues against centers who are better than he does? Sometimes he does because he's in foul trouble. But for the most part, uh, the Knicks are very happy with the way Mitchell Robinson plays for them. Gary Sanchez with his first hit as a Mets. Start of something big. Start of something big. We're hoping. Considering he hasn't been in a while, that's, that's good for him. All right, we'll see what happens. Uh, no score Mets guardians, by the way. Uh, Willie's in Jersey. What's up, Willie? Hey, how
2: you doing, Larry? Um, doing thank good, you for
1: friend. taking my call. You got um, it. I'll
2: call it. Um, if this was football, the first thing that people would be saying is we need an offensive coordinator. <laughs> Before we start talking about trading uh, ball players, we need to look at the offensive coordinator. I think if we had, had put a little more creativity into the um, ISO offense, we'll be a little bit better. How do you think about that, starting off with trying to find an offensive coordinator? Thank you for well, taking my call.
1: You got it, Willie. Well, other than the offensive coordinator, what would help the offensive coordinator would be some shot makers. You know, when you got shot makers, it's easy to to have. uh, Why would you? Why would you send Sanchez? I'm sorry. It would be (laughs) just because Vogelbach made it doesn't mean that Sanchez is going to make it. Mets up one nothing. Going to run the throw. Sanchez throwing that at home. Uh, You need shot makers, my friend, and that would make everybody's job easier. You would not need an offensive coordinator if you had some shot makers on this team. So that's the big issue. They have to make some adjustments to get some shot makers here uh, so that they'll be able to, you know, when you pass the ball, when you're double teamed and Brunson passes the ball, you need somebody that's going to make the three. When Randall's double teamed and he passes the ball, you need somebody that's going to hit that shot. And they don't do it consistently, and they do it even less when they're really defended. I mean, you look at the shooting percentage for the Knicks in the series against Miami, it was brutal for most for most part. Brutal. And then the other thing that really bothered you was they seemed like on some occasions they stopped playing. You know, Ian Beckley, who was a guest earlier, mentioned the fact that Julius Randle on occasion, you see him, he's supposed to rotate, didn't rotate, didn't move defensively. You're not really sure what he was supposed to do on defense. And he wasn't alone in doing that. There were some times where guys were just standing still, didn't know what was happening. And so that's what's really, other than, yeah, we know we need shot makers and, yeah, we know we need to improve some talent and, no, we're not ready for the conference finals or an NBA finals yet. We still need some more pieces. Those things were even more concerning. with the fact of how they did not really perform well On the easier things, this team's identity is not their offense. This team's identity is their defense. And far too often in that Miami series, you didn't see them live up to their identity whatsoever. They made it real easy for the Heat. Wide open threes, uh, running around trying to deal with helping by double teaming Jimmy Butler, now this one's open. They're running across court. They're trying to run and run and run. And that's where your ball movement helps. You know? So uh, that was the, uh, you know, that was the issue. That was part of the issue. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I hear what you're saying about the offensive coordinator, but my friend, they (laughs) they need some shot guys, okay? They need more guys like Grimes, who didn't shoot well in the postseason like quickly, who didn't shoot well in the postseason. They need more consistent scores, And so that's where they'll have to make a uh, that's where they'll have to make some, some adjustments to make sure that they can get to that next level where they have to go. And listen, it's not easy. Okay? It's not easy. It's not going to be easy for this Nick front office. Because really, their job when they came in, was to make this team relevant and to build towards being consistently good and having a chance to make the playoffs. And under this regime, in two of the three years, that's what they've done. And this year, they went further than they did in their first year. So they're on track of doing the right thing. It's just a matter of now... What do you do to take that next step to make this team that much better? Jackson, LA, what's up, Jack?
7: How's it going? Thanks for uh, taking my call. I'll be quick. I've got one point on Julius Randle, and then I want to respond to the Mitchell Robinson comment from uh, the previous caller.
5: Mm
4: -hmm. Uh,
7: I think the Knicks are in a tough spot with Randle because, yes, he's underperformed in the last two postseasons, but 77 games of 25, 10, and 5, you know, doesn't necessarily grow on trees. So I'm really conflicted with what, you know, I want us to do with him. And then in terms of Mitchell Robinson, I don't think we need to get rid of him, but if he could just become a little bit of a better passer and better at setting screens on the ball, kind of the way Adebayo uh, opens Mm. up things for teammates with his screens, so he's not, for lack of a better term, completely useless on offense, I think that, you know, you can win with a guy like that.
1: Well, I agree with you, Jack. And and once again, he's there because of his defense. They're not really expecting scoring from him. He's toyed with the idea of shooting threes, and he wants to be more involved offensively. But, I mean, let's face it, Jack, you've watched him. For him to be more involved offensively, he needs a lot of work with handling the basketball. He doesn't handle the basketball that great.
7: No, absolutely. I think that's the most frustrating part, watching it, is when he catches it and he's not in a spot where he can dunk. Like, as a fan, you're kind of just like, you know, hopefully he gets rid of his safety, you know. Um, So I'm conflicted on both of them. I I think uh, Mitchell with some work, I'm still bullish on him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Randall, you know, I don't envy Leon Rose's decision he's got to make with Randall um, because that's losing a lot. And, and, you know, the regular season doesn't matter, but it it also does. So uh, especially for where the Knicks are gone, we want to keep building on winning seasons. Yep. Um, but I won't take up more of your time. Thanks so much for taking
1: my call. All right, Jack. Thanks for thanks for uh, thanks for calling. And here's the thing: when you talk about what teams do and players do, everybody doesn't have to score for you. Some players have roles that are v- invaluable, where they may score five points and three rebounds, but they go out and they do you know a yeoman's job in trying to keep things moving, and so. That's what you expect, and for Mitchell Robinson, if he wants to be more involved in the offense or the Knicks would like for him to be more involved in the offense, then like the hundreds of other NBA players who are watching the games right now, that he needs to go and do some work with handling the basketball. Mitchell Robinson needs work handling the basketball and shooting free throws because based on what we saw against Miami, he's going to be fouled a lot. In big moments, they're going to foul him. And then you're going to be torn with the decision of, okay, whether I'm going to have Hardenstein in the lineup late or whether I'm going to have Mitchell Robinson in the lineup late because Hardenstein's a little better offensively. That's going to be your concern. Okay, so that's what you're going to have to make some decisions with. But I do think that, you know, Mitchell Robinson, if you want him more involved, he's got to do some work. He needs some work. He needs some ball handling skills. He can't can't treat the basketball like it's a grenade. Every time you give it to him, he thinks it's going to explode. Can't do it. Uh, Yeah, listen. That's why they get paid the big bucks, Jack. (laughs) To make those tough decisions. And you're right. It is a tough decision on bringing, whether you bring Randall back or you don't. But here, it's not really that tough because here's the deal. If you float his name out there and you don't get what you want, you're not going to move him. You're not going to move him unless you get the right player at the right price for the right amount. So it's really not as hard as you might think. Because if they feel if, if they get the right deal, they'll possibly move him. If they don't get the right deal, he'll sit right here. And what they'll do is they'll build around him, they'll get some more shooters, and they'll say, you know what, let's try it one more time. Let's run it back one more time and see. Now that we got some other shooters, maybe things will be different. That wraps up this edition of the Larry Hardesty Show. We thank you for joining us on this Sunday afternoon. Special thanks to our guest, Pat, guests, because <laughs> we have more than one, Pat Ragazzo of Sports Illustrated, also to Ian Begley of SNY, and my good friend Billy Taylor, former running back with the New York Giants and the Oakland Raiders. Thanks for a great afternoon. We'll see you next on 98.7 ESPN.
5: I'm Steve. Yeah, hello.